the Recovery Revolution will be podcast on the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Network. This is the Unruffle Podcast, Episode 14. This is a podcast about recovery through creativity. We live an intentional life. We thrive. I am Sandra Primo. And I'm Tammy Salas. And we are The Unruffled. Good morning, Sandra. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing how well. Was your, how was your weekend? My weekend was... Um, Good, good. I went and um, had some fun with my husband because my son's still in Alaska. And by the time this airs, he should be back. But uh, we went and saw Nick Cave. Do you know Nick Cave? I am very, obviously, I mean, very familiar with Nick Cave. Never been, like, he's not a musician whose albums I have collected at all. But I do have friends that are huge Nick Cave fans. Huge. Yeah, my husband is a huge mm-hmm. Nick Cave. He kind of seems Tom Waite-esque to me. You know, Tom uh-huh. Waite-esque to me. A little bit, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I'd watched a documentary. Well, not a documentary. It's like a docudrama. It was like a fictional day in his life called 20,000 Days on Earth. And I watched this when I got sober. Yeah, a few months into my sobriety, I think it was the summertime and I'd watched it and I thought it was like a real documentary. Like I thought it was <laughs> happening in real time. Oh, That's how naive yeah, I, I was. <laughs> so I talked to my husband about it. I'm like, I can't believe he let his twins watch Scarface. And he was like, Tammy, that was an exaggerated, that was a, um, a fictional day oh, in the fiction. life of him. Uh, I was like, Oh, okay. I'm like, but those were his twin boys. He's like, yes, but it was, it was, he's like, watch the, about, you know, about the film. So it's almost like an extended, um, is it, is there, is it set to music? He has some of his, um, music in there. He plays live. And so when I rewatched the film this weekend, I wanted to watch it before I went to the concert. Um, and then I watched the, you know, how the film was made and yeah, it's a fictional day in his life. Um, they kind of all tally up these old memories and images and they're flashing and they're 19,999 days. And then this will be the 20,000th day that, that he's kind of taking you through his day. Um, And he meets with his, uh, you know, the person he collaborates with Warren and they meet for lunch and he's talking to old bandmates in the car and it's like memory. It's like, he's having this conversation in his mind, but yet in the film they're sitting shotgun or in the backseat talking about, um, you know, why the band broke up or, um, when he recorded a song with Kylie Minogue, she was in the backseat and anyhow, it was just this really beautiful super creative film and he is quite the documenter in journals and types up his lyrics uses date stamps all over the place like library date stamps and so I'm just going I so when I first watched this I was like thought it was all like the office that he's in I thought it was like his office I'm like what a cool office no they created that whole thing they when I watched the about but his practices he does go into an office and he does write and he does have a typewriter and he does do all of those things yet 
it was just all amped up for the movie. But he is a collector of memories of himself. You know, he kind of, he has an archivist that saves his photos and journals and he very much documents his life and that's part of his process. And I thought it was really interesting. Now, is Nick Cave the one whose son fell off a cliff? One of the twin boys. Yeah. Oh God. I came home and I researched a little bit more about him. Yeah. Mm. He was 15. Mm. He had taken, I think, three, is it tabs of LSD? Is that what you would say? Tabs? Uh, Pieces. Tabs, of three hits. hits. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and I think he had cannabis in the system too. And, and yeah, he, he fell off of a cliff. So uh, oh super tragic, super tragic. So I we went to the Greek theater in Berkeley and so I had no expectations for like going to the concert and the opening act was cat power. Oh yeah. Cat power. She's great. Well, I didn't know who that was, but she was oh. great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this guy next to us was like, this is why I'm here. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people were there maybe just to see her. Yeah. Okay with Nick Cave too. She never got introduced. She never said her name. She wasn't on the tickets. We tried to search and Google it to see who she was. Couldn't figure it out until the guy next to us told us. Oh, my goodness. And I was like, that's so weird. He was like, well, you know, she had a psychotic break. I'm like, yeah, I don't know anything. He's like, yeah, she used to be an alcoholic or she is an alcoholic. And I was like, huh. Okay. So I just kind of beautiful voice is just her. And um, yeah, really powerful. And then Nick Cave came on. So he's, you know, from the punk days and, and I don't know his music very well other than from the documentary. And he is in a suit. All of his bandmates are in suits, you know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. nice shoes. And he, for the entire show, basically had the audience's hands on him. So he would lean into the audience on a metal rail (laughs) And let them hold him up while he was singing. And I told my husband, I'm so glad I'm not in the front row. (laughs) (laughs) That would have freaked me out. But it was beautiful and great. And he got into the middle of the crowd and he would crowd surf and then they would support him and hold him. I mean, he's got to be in his mid fifties and he was just rocking and just, it was amazing. What a show. I mean, it was incredible. So I came home on a high. That's great. Yeah. I love to see live music. I had a music weekend myself. (gasps) You did? What did you do? Yeah, my... So I have uh, a group of college girlfriends, and we've been friends since the late 80s. It's Mm. a really long time. I can see the hair right now. I can see the hair. Long time. Uh, So going almost 30 years, we've been friends. And, uh, one of, one of my friends was through a birthday party for the other friend and, um, they are probably like the, the, you would consider them like the besties of the group, even though, you know, we're all, we're all still very close. Um, and her birth, this year she's turning 50, but her birthday is right before Christmas and so it always kind of gets overlooked, but 50 is a big deal. And so uh, the friend throwing the party decided, you know, you need to have a huge bash and it's going to be in my backyard. And she has a great backyard. She has a swimming pool and a deck and um, just a, a lovely backyard. It's really fun. 
and a great house too. And uh, so, so she threw this huge party, invited 150 people, and asked um, the band Poi Dog Pondering uh, to play. And <clears throat> that band means a lot to us. They were a huge band in the 90s. They're still a huge band in Chicago. Their shows sell out. That's where they live now. Um, in the 90s, they lived in Austin for the mo- most part. They started in Hawaii. Some of them lived in Hawaii, but then uh, ended up a lot of them lived in Austin. And that's when we started seeing them on a regular basis in the 90s. And then as the years just went on, um, my friend Judy, who was the recipient of the party, the party was called Judy Fest. She, uh, hold on. She, yeah, Judy Fest. I know. Would you like to have a Fest with your name in it? Judy Fest. Oh, Why you're not? transporting me right now. Okay, go ahead. Keep Why going. So, um, so, uh, you know, Judy and her husband have been producers in their music. Um, you know, they've, they follow them and go see them in Chicago a couple of times a year. Um, we've, they've just become good friends to uh, many of us. Um, so it was a big ask for them to fly from Chicago to Austin. Whoa. Right. But they did it. And a couple of the band members actually do live in Austin. Abra and Bruce live in Austin. And uh, maybe the drummer lives, I can't think. But anyway, the rest of them live in Chicago. And, um, but they all flew in for the, for the, for the, for Judy Fest. And so we got to see Poi Dog Pondering in my friend Jane's backyard. (laughs) It was awesome. So cool. (laughs) It was awesome. There were two bands that um, opened up. Uh, two local bands that opened up for them that were also friends. And, uh, yeah, it was just a freaking blast. It was so fun. It was so fun. Now, um, uh, there was a lot of drinking and whatever, you know, I, I can, I can be around that now. I didn't, Mm. I, you know, I didn't know when that would happen and how long it would take, but, um, and I've been to parties and I've been to other, uh, occasions where people are drinking. This was the first time I was kind of at a place where I was intending to stay for most of the day. And, um, I was great. And and then it turns out I wasn't really the only one not drinking. So, uh, you know, it, it was fine. I, it was totally fine. Plus it was hot. You know, it's where I'm in Austin. It's hot. I was, you know, I was just, so glad that I wasn't drinking. <laughs> I know when I was texting you this week over the weekend, I just kept thinking, she's waking up feeling good today. She's waking oh, up yeah. feeling super today. <laughs> I woke up and went for a run. <laughs> it was awesome. And not only that, I woke up and went for a run and thought about how freaking fun the night was. Yeah. And I thought about all the friends I saw. I mean, it wasn't just this, my small group of friends that I've known forever. There was... I would say 90% of the people there I've known for a very long time. And so it was really good to just see everybody and kind of reconnect and just feel like I was my best self. Just yeah. I was my best self. And it also had just no inhibitions. Now that comes, I think, from being um, almost 50. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, with age, right? We're like, we I don't care anymore. Don't mm-hmm. give up 
you just don't. Mm-hmm. You just start get. I just the older I get, and I've I heard that that would happen, and it's actually happened. And so, not only did I feel comfortable in my sober skin, but I feel comfortable in my skin. Period. Um, and I've just felt just really it was just freedom. It felt like it felt like freedom. It was a great, great day. I am so, much so happy. Yeah. Yeah. And I also noticed these ladies wearing your designs that looked I know. beautiful. You could immediately say that's a Sandra dress. I know. Thanks. I love that. Yes. Yeah. Everybody looked yeah. beautiful. I saw you on stage. I know. <laughs> Me and my uh, two other friends, we jumped up and sang backup vocals. That was kind of pre-planned. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I had, I was in the bathroom and I almost missed it because we didn't know, we didn't have the set list. So we didn't know when the song was going to come on. And I walked up just in time. And, um, my other friend kept saying that she wasn't going to do it. And I told her, you bet your sweet ass you're going to do it. I'm going to grab your arm and you're going to come up there with me. And that's exactly what happened. (laughs) I like it how you just kind of forgot to tell me you were going to be a backup singer this weekend. (laughs) So you're just like surprising me today with that. Or when I saw it on Facebook, I'm like, um, she failed to mention she was going to be singing. So, (laughs) and looking really good while doing it. I knew that was going to happen, but yeah. Oh, that's good. That's a nice full kind of circle moment for you. I think that's great. I think that's great. Oh, it was, it was, it was really, yes, that's exactly what it was. It was a very full circle moment. It was awesome. Oh, well, good. Well, um, I was going to share this thing, um, when I was chatting about Nick cave and then we got into this. So I think I'm going to save that for another time, but he has a song and it just made me think of it when he just said, um, that you feel good in your skin. Um, and I wrote down some lyrics from that song when I was at the concert and he, it's just three little lines and he says, I'm transforming, I'm vibrating. Look at me now. And he's yelling this, you know, I'm transforming, I'm vibrating, look at me now. And I thought, that's how I feel in sobriety, right? That's how you must have been feeling like, hey, (laughs) I am not the same. Because the the line I I used on Instagram the next morning was, I feel electric because Mm. I did. I just felt electric. I've Mm. just felt very much alive. Can you imagine being in a band like and getting up there and doing that and that feeling like the whole time the people were touching Nick Cave and part of my mind was going, oh, the ego that has to be involved in like wanting to be touched and held and supported. And, and then I was like, why do I think that's ego? Because as, as we're going to get into talking with our guest on the show when we were getting ready to introduce him he kind of had an interesting way of telling us like, it's not about ego. It's like sharing your gifts and sharing it uh, because they want it. They want it as much as you want it. Right. mm -hmm. It was like a very mutual, like I said, if I was there, I wouldn't want that. (laughs) I would have, I would have been like, I can't hold you up, dude. I'm going to move over. This makes me nervous. But I was so worried he was going to slip and fall in his nice shoes. And my husband's like, you don't need to keep worrying. He's done this. He's kind of a professional. I'm like, oh, Steve, I keep thinking he's going to fall. I'm so worried he's going to fall off that thing. He's like, shut up. That's so funny. (laughs) I come from a long line of worriers, Sandra. (laughs) Oh, well, let's, let's, let's get into, um, who our awesome guest is on our show today. I'm going to, yeah. Yeah. We had the perfect, um, weekend to talk about our, our guest today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
This is a friend of mine, um, an acquaintance friend, spent a weekend. I've been in a hot tub with him, so I feel like we're friends. Oh, Uh, (laughs) And his wife and um, a lot of other people. But um, I liked um, I like chatting with him. This is going to be um, Daniel Blue. And um, and he's the lead singer um, for a band named Moto Pony. And he's been sober since uh, November 11th, 2015. And um, why, don't, why don't you introduce him, Sandra? Tell his bio yeah, a little so, bit. So Daniel Blue is best known as a singer and lyricist in Seattle um, in the folk, folk uh, rock band Moto Pony that you just mentioned. He's <clears throat> released three records, and they have toured halfway around the world to festivals in India and shows in the U.K., as well as circling the U.S. twice in the past two years. Um, when he was in the U.K., the band found themselves in Abbey Road Studios with producer Rob Cass and recorded a live album there. Uh, Rob took Daniel's spirit and writing and immediately offered to record his debut solo album. Um, having worn many hats and many pants in the creativity world, he's been in fashion design, graphic design, painting, directing, theater, rock stardom, poetry, song, and prose seemed to bring him the most enjoy to um, it, it, his success and ratios, uh, or his success ratios. Um, Daniel is currently putting the finishing touches on his solo record, leading writing workshops and sound baths and blogging his adventures along the way. And we'll put links to his sites in the show notes, but um, he he has a website, danielblue.com, and his band's website is motoponymusic.com. Yeah, wasn't he a delight to chat with? He really was. I don't think I've ever, um, you know, other than a friend that's a musician, I yeah, I've never had a, that long of a conversation with uh, with a musician, and he, yeah, it was great. Yeah, he, he was. He was so funny. honest. Yeah, he's funny and he's very honest, and um, he has a, had a lot of interesting things to say. I loved his perspective. Yeah. I, um, I had chatted with him at this workshop, you know, several years ago, and this was before he quit drinking. And I felt I was a little bit nervous to chat with him only because, you know, you're following people on social media. You don't really know them or their lives or what's going on behind the scenes. You, I got a feeling, I read that he was sober in an interview. Um, but recently him and I had connected on social media and, he had congratulated me or I had congratulated him on a sobriety date or something. So I knew that he was still sober and that's when I reached out and his management helped us put this together and we really appreciate it. So, um, Mm -hmm. that he came on and took the time and, you know, who knows, maybe just maybe there might be a backyard concert at my house in Valley Ford when they come to San Francisco. Who knows? Yeah. I'm going to send some pictures today to his manager and, you know, we'll just see if we can make that happen. Let's manifest it, Tammy. <laughs> I have to be careful with what I manifest. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how powerful I am. Because right. it's all, yeah, I'm sure, because I don't control the universe. I got to remember that. But we'll see what happens. So I hope all of our listeners enjoy and um, 
if you don't know, if you didn't know Daniel Blue before, I hope that you'll listen to him and his music and follow his journey. They're releasing an album, I believe he said in August, and um, going on tour. So I think that will be exciting for um, for him and his wife and all of their listeners. Yep. So please enjoy enjoy Daniel Blue. Hello. Hey, Daniel. Hi, Daniel. Hi. Hi. Thanks for joining us here in this space. I appreciate your time. My pleasure. Um, we haven't, I haven't seen you since we, uh, were in Dobe together on Orcas Island, uh, back in, that was April of 2014. Wow. I know, but I've been following along on social media and getting snips and little things of what you're doing and your travels around the world. And I think you broke down in San Francisco once and I felt like, Oh, is that true? That San Francisco is where you broke down. It was just outside. I was like in between. Uh, San Jose and Santa, whatever, East Town <laughs> is right there. Cruise, maybe. Yep. Yeah. Like you broke, like you broke yeah. down, had a meltdown, or you your car broke down? Car. <laughs> <I was laughs> because I had a meltdown last night, so I'm just oh. I'm a little tweaky still. <laughs> what happened? Oh, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> okay. We're interviewing you, Daniel. <laughs> Talk about you. <laughs> Don't try to turn this around yeah, your already. Car, yeah, your car broke down, right? Is that Let's talk about your dream. <laughs> I see where this is going already. Yeah, I was driving uh, a Toyota van, kind of for a friend, but I mean, the whole tour was so harebrained. I was really kind of, I was trying to be sober. Uh, but I had kicked everyone out of my band and kind of, and, or at least had terse words with everyone. And then was like, I'm going off solo tour. And then I like realized that my massive tour van wasn't very economical if there weren't six men trying to sleep in it. So I like finangled this ridiculous thousand dollar Toyota van and I was going to drive it for a friend that worked on a weed farm, like in Northern California and she, to bring it down, she was going to let me take it all the way down to Santa Monica, where I had a show, like in Southern California somewhere. And then, yeah, it's just like one thing after another. And I was really, really driving it. I mean, I was, it was loaded to the gills, and uh, I was not being gentle. And it, yeah, blew up on a hill. I mean, I melted it to the point of oh. no recovery. Oh, my. Is that how you felt at that time, too? Was that there any correlation there? Yeah, probably. I mean, I, I seemed to be fairly angry. <laughs> um, so, uh, and, it, and just kind of in a hurry, you know what I mean? It was, like, difficult to be in the in-between spaces in the liminal. I, like, wanted to be to the next bell reward. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Yeah, I was really pushing that thing, but it ended up being kind of like the perfect scenario. Not only was there uh, an incredibly nice man in Santa Cruz. Sorry, is that right? Is that yeah. where I was? Yeah, I think maybe. <laughs> yeah, all of the Santas mixed up. There's <laughs> a lot of Santas up here. <laughs> Freaking Santa Claus. <laughs> you get really distracted by Santa Claus. Anyway, uh, so, yeah, there was a just a friend of a friend that, like, let me stay with him while 
I kind of sorted out what to do with this big hunk of broken Toyota. And then another friend had an Acura in San Jose that she needed brought back to Seattle and was more than happy to let me continue driving mm. down the coast with it in between. Nice. And did you get so to sort of be alone with yourself? What? Were you just alone with yourself then driving and going and doing this solo thing? Yeah, I mean, it was supposed to be this massive hippie train. I mean, I had this huge mega linomaniacal kind of idea of like, it's going to be like a traveling <laughs> like, <laughs> doorfront and there's going to be a, a worship tent and sound healing and... You know, there was just all this stuff added on and we were going to caravan. And I had all of these young friends who were like so excited by this idea. And, you know, one of them had this massive tent we could use to like we were going to throw shows in people's backyards because I was so over the bar scene. And, you know, one by one, they all sort of like once the tour schedule solidified, they were like, oh, well, we don't want to like be beholden to like a schedule oh right it was like some kind of bar stool commitment or something it's like when you sober up you go oh wait yeah I, I have to say it was a little it was like a a lot more well planned than that i had <laughs> that were you know given you'd you made know, the commitments just right? not them yeah, just I, not them you know, and then someone else's vehicle broke down and then someone realized, like, that's not what they wanted to do with their life for real. <laughs> and then some, someone else just sort of, like, had a revelation about their relationship with me that, you know, it wasn't the purest thing ever. And, that, you know, it was just, like, one by one, everybody kind of, like, left me to do this backyard and house show tour kind of well, on my own. Well, I rem- so I remember this. And so this, um, so was this 2014? Was and it? you did it? You did that? You did the whole thing? I'm I'm kind of stubborn, but yeah. Oh, the, cool. The thing is, is like, it's, I think it's terrible to like say you're coming and then. And yeah. then don't. Yeah. yeah. Sure. And I'll, okay, I've canceled tours that, <clears throat> excuse me. I've canceled tours that like I've tried to start and then clearly weren't going to work and then called people a couple months in advance and said, hey, I couldn't get it together i'm sorry i'm not coming you know but this was like this was like it was going and i needed it like i really really needed to get out of kind of the rut that i was in in seattle i was really grasping at a change and it was great to go out without the band i was actually really excited about going out alone um i think i was in a lot of toxic relationships with most of the people in my life you know and that not being anyone's fault but mine mm-hmm. well, to that. yeah and that's what I was gonna so when you went on that tour like that's what I kind of remember was when you were um I would like I said I'm only getting snippets from Instagram or from social media and I wanted to go to one of your shows um but I myself was struggling with my own um not fully understanding that I was um drinking alcoholically and after Dobe, you know, when I went to Dobe, one of the things, um, the writing, you know, the writing retreat and the creative workshop was just like meeting other creatives was really um, kind of eye-opening to me. And um, you taught a workshop on the War of Art, I believe, by Stephen, Stephen Pressfield. And I'd never yeah. read that before. 
And so last night I got out my notebook and I was looking at my notebooks from when you were um, giving the talk and the things that I wrote down that you said. And um, I couldn't help but notice there was this theme. And obviously his book is a lot about resistance, but that, you know, that was kind of what you were talking about. And so when I reread some of the words that I wrote, um, I think you said, and I don't know if you were quoting somebody else, but this is what I quoted as you saying, is that as artists and professionals, it's our obligation to enact our own internal revolution. And when you said that, like something inside of me was like, yeah, what have I been doing? Like, I've been so dormant for all these years and like tamping it down with booze and kind of thinking because I lived in wine country, that was cool and great. Um, and I know I was like a mom. I was very different. I wasn't an artist, quote unquote, in the sense um, of some of the other artists that were there. But you kind of unlock something, you know. And for me, that's why I've been following along. And I've just been really, really grateful. When I signed up, I was drunk. When I signed up for that Dobe, I had to be drunk to sign up to get the courage to like hit that button. <laughs> I sat at my computer, I was on my third martini and I was like, I'm going to go do this. Um, but it wasn't until I got there that I realized what a problem I had. Um, and also what a problem with anxiety that I had and how I kind of masked that with, with booze. So I just want to say thank you. That was the beginning of me starting to examine my life in a way that I never had in all of my years. I'm 47 now, but I, I didn't quite look at how art could be the way through. And so I just wanted to say thank you for that. You helped me like start a path and I really appreciate it. I'm, I'm honored. And I, I, you know, I wish I could sort of allow that to sort of into my ego and think that I'm a really great guy. I, I do, (laughs) I do believe that that particular quote is Stephen Pressfield. And, uh, I'm really happy that I could be of use even though I was in and out at that point in my life, I was like really in and out of my own struggling with, you know, using substance to like be able to do my job. So it's amazing that despite that, you know, higher power was able to offer something to you from me. Yeah. I, 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 it's interesting when you're open, right. And that you were kind of a channel and, um, yeah. and I don't mean to inflate your ego. And I know that that's something that we work on in, in sobriety, but I just, it was like the beginning. And I mm-hmm. felt like, you know, that was a really, um, that's like when I follow along that and people were telling me, Oh, we're going to go see Daniel here. We're going to go see him here in Seattle or go to San Francisco. I'm like, I can't, I want to, I can't like, I know I can't go into a bar. I know I can't, I can't go do yeah. that right now. Um, but so let, let me just ask, what, what is, what is your relationship with alcohol or how did that kind of, how did you come to realize, realize that you needed to kind of put an end to that? Well, I'd say like, I've had a very dangerous relationship with substances since, you know, I was very young and I knew that. And there's a lot of alcohol abuse and drug abuse in my, you know, family, both immediate. And then like people who have married in, you know, it's like my aunts, I think maybe we're, or one or two of them were drawn to um, that type of, you know, drinker because their father was. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is kind of my mother's legacy. I don't know my my real dad. He left before I was born, but, you know, I don't think that he was sober when he made that decision. So, mm-hmm. um, that you know, I've been 
adamant about both my desire to use and my ability to manage that. But I also have been, you know, tried to be really wise and careful with it. And so through my 20s, I just drank like a maniac. And and then when I decided I really wanted to be an artist and like and a musician specifically, I, I sobered up kind of on my own. And I think I went to a few meetings at that time and just thought like, okay, this is depressing. Like, I don't want to hang out with these people for the rest of my life. So I... <coughs> I, I just decided I was going to like very carefully manage it. And that worked for, you know, three, four, five years. I would quit for a month or say I was going to quit for a year and quit for a month. Or I'd say I was going to quit for a month and quit for a week. And um, I devoted a lot of energy to controlling that. And then we went to India in 2014 uh, or 13 somewhere in there, like right before I think I came and taught that April, or maybe right after. I think it was right after. Yeah, I think it was right after. So, um, and that was a three-month tour. So we toured for like a month across the States to New York. Then we like flew to London. We were there for a couple of weeks. We flew to India. We were there for a couple of weeks. We flew back to New York and then toured for another month through the South. Mm-hmm. And when I got home, I was just not okay. Uh, both sort of, I think, though, like, I don't know, poverty and and a lot of the, like, just desperation and sadness that I saw in that country, you know, that was just so shocking to, mm-hmm. like, you know, fairly affluent Daniel. I, I think, like, it, I, it really rattled me and I kind of, like, couldn't, come to grips with that necessarily and then uh then the band was just kind of struggling it wasn't we were we like it wasn't this big you know explosive we're famous kind of like event that I think I had expected and I was kind of resentful about that and I really think a lot of people in the band were pretty resentful that we hadn't like made it and we were still working so hard and driving to Canada to play to like 30 drunk people by the river you know what I mean and like mm-hmm. it was just like so much effort for like such little what felt like such little reward and um, and I think somewhere in there I just crossed a line and I wasn't able to manage I also was like uh, I was prescribed Adderall by my half naturopathic doctor Oh, wow. no idea why in the world she thought and it was, I did not go in you know it was like my wife made me go get health insurance which I resisted tooth and nail because I felt at that point you know in my big sort of like understanding of the world that doctors were evil and mm-hmm. <laughs> like health insurance was a scam and I'm not going to let them get one over on me and um, so she like forced me into it I went I got health insurance. I went and found a like, you know, half naturopath doctor that I felt like, you know, I could trust. And like within the first couple of times of seeing me, she suggested that I had adult ADD and prescribed me Adderall. That's crazy. That's just just crazy. Like, okay. I was like, you know, and I remember the first day I took that, I wept. Hmm. I was like, 
holy shit, like I, I've been wandering around in the dark with a flashlight, like able to focus on one little tiny part of my mind at a time. Mm-hmm. Which is great if you're writing a song and everything's quiet and it's 4 a.m., you know what I mean? And I can focus on one thing at a time and I can just sort of set the flashlight there and really get my hands dirty on that one little nugget of of attention. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this was like somebody turned the lights on and I just could like, I could look at whatever I want or the whole picture, you know. It was amazing. I remember speaking to people and being like, wow, I can listen to your words and be myself at the same time. Like, it was this amazing thing that, like, I could hold two personalities in the conversation at once rather than having to fully enter into their being in order to think their thoughts, you know, with them. And then, like, switch and come and think my thoughts about what they thought. You know what I mean? It was, it was, it was so wonderful. And I, I literally, I was weeping at the, like, memories. I could, like, remember things and I could hold myself and my being and... You know, and then I started eating as much of it as I possibly could. So it was just very, you know, I think within the year, I was, you know, I was abusing it. Okay, so Adderall did kind of take you down eventually. I think it's really what sort of pushed the brick over the ledge. Everything else I could kind of pick and choose. I could decide if I wanted to get crazy drunk or... You know, just have a few drinks. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like, like, I mean, I played that game of moderation, right? I think Sandra and I talk about this quite a bit. Like, there's so much mental anguish when you're trying to moderate your life. At least for me, yeah. it's a lot of, it's a lot of work. You don't get, your mind doesn't get to rest. It doesn't seem, you know, it kind of, I, I feel that way with procrastination as well. Like, I feel like that's the same game, moderation and procrastination. When I look at my quote unquote defect. Like I felt like that's the same. Like it's just all your mind is always going and trying to figure something out and trying to finagle away and delay something. And, and when you're moderating your drinking or trying to even just think about that game, it's so tiring. Yeah. And there's an ever present. Yeah. Like almost like another, another creature in there. Mm-hmm. Were that's you, like, Right, like renting space in your head. That's how yeah. I always described it. It's just like some somebody's just taking up space in my brain. Were you yeah. drinking at the time that you were doing the Adderall too? Was that both? Yeah, I was going to ask that. <laughs> I remember being in India on Adderall, drunk, walking out of my hotel, and this man... You know, I went across the street to buy a pack of smokes and this man came up to me and was like, well, you shouldn't buy smokes from him. I can get them for you cheaper. And I was like, oh, okay. What else do you have? (laughs) Right. You know. What you got? This is the guy I've been looking for, right? He found you. A quote unquote little sister, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, Oh, a human. He offered you a human. He offered me. Oh, I thought. He said, I can get you whatever you want, you know, including, would you like little sister? And I don't know that it was, you know, I think that's sort of an expression of like, everyone's your uncle or your sister there. But at any rate, you know, I was horrified by him. And I was like, 
you know, okay, I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to go that way. But then I ended up very quickly at walking down the street and there was a pharmacy. I went into the pharmacy and just said, hey, I'm having trouble studying. Like, where the thought, you know? And so, yes, uh-huh. I mean, the answer is you like, yes. <laughs> but there were whatever I could put at a point. Like I said, like I just crossed a, this line where it didn't matter mm. how high I was or drunk I was. I wanted to keep keep staying up, keep hanging out with people, keep getting into trouble, keep you know falling into holes, like and keep ingesting whatever was available. So and the yeah, woman the counter had and she was like, "Oh, okay, here you go." And she handed me this packet that cost like thirty five U.S. cents. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was just, like, really shitty, sorry for my language, like, <laughs> you know, speed. Mm. <laughs> it's just like, this is amazing. Like, you could just buy speed over the cow. I was just like, wow. okay. You know, and then I handed it out, you know. Like, like it was presents? Fun. Like presents? Yeah. Like, <laughs> ah, take this. Mm. Everyone gets it. Yeah. <clears throat> Adderall, I mean, it just, it. You know, it um, it amps you up, even though it does do wonders for the person with ADD. I've taken it some, and it was too. I had to, I I liked it too much. Same with you, I liked it too much, and it was just too dangerous. Plus, I could drink for days on Adderall. Yeah, it made me very thirsty. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I'm, I never tried any of that. I'm too much of a chicken. I, I think I smoked pot when I was 30 and I was like, it didn't work because I was so drunk. So they're like, yeah, it doesn't really work if you're hammered like that, Tammy. So, um, but I was always too afraid of drugs. Yeah. I could see why Adderall would push you over the edge. I'm not really sure. I, I guess it does. I mean, I, I get how it helps people, but I, I can't, I can't not get Adderall out of the sort of evil pharmaceutical category. I guess I don't have a judgment about it, to be honest. I I did when I quit it, you know what I mean? I think I kind of really needed to like hate it and see it as evil. But at this point, I know it's not the right medicine for me. Mm -hmm. I think I, I think I do long for that, you know, the lights on in my brain. Yeah, no, I know. But, I hear you. But I think I also just accept that I'm wired the way I'm wired now, you know, and I wrote all those songs that got me to India without that. Right. So, you know, it's a lot of work, but uh, yeah. I've been able to manage. And yeah. in sobriety, it's, you know, so much more. So just because there's like a thousand times less chaos. Yeah. For sure. For sure. And I always wonder, too, like, what other parts of your brain become more adaptable if you, you know, if you've got something that's, that's, you know, that's slower, that doesn't work quite up to par. I made myself sit for a good six months just in pure naked blood, as one of my AA buddies calls it. And then I asked that same doctor for some alternatives that maybe weren't so high on the, this is addictive. You know, I was really honest with my doctor right away. I was like, I'm an addict, so let's watch this, you know. But I also think that 
I really could use some help in the ADD department. Mm -hmm. So we tried a few things and it was like, you know, same, same stuff, different form that all just made me feel so icky or just like so hungry. And I was just like, nope, not taking that, you know? So, Mm -hmm. and then, and then I waited a year till I had been sober for a year and then tried like one other thing, you know, and then just was like, all right, give me some herbs, you know? And now I'm just like, in the morning I take a big chunk of ginseng and, you know, some other sort of like, like, you know, just herbal stuff. Right. Kind of wake me up and get me going. And then I'm not like wandering around the keys looking for my, or wandering around the keys looking for my house. (laughs) (laughs) Good. (laughs) Exactly that. (laughs) Well, I find like a morning routine is super important in sobriety. Like finding that way to kick off your day, because as soon as my eyelids open up, my brain is going a million miles an hour. So I usually hit a 7am, um, 12 step meeting in town. So you, did you go the AA route? Is that how you, how you found your recovery path? Well, I think AA found me. (laughs) There's that guy in Santa Cruz and he not, it can't be Santa Cruz. Santa Clara? Santa Rosa? That's right by San Jose. Famous Santa Cruz. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm just going to believe you. (laughs) Okay. Um, I'll think of, I'll try to think if there's another, but I'm pretty sure it's Santa Cruz. Famous boardwalk, famous boardwalk and Ferris wheels. I have no idea. On the coast. Okay. At any rate. But you guy. You know, (laughs) we'll just call it Santa Cruz. Okay. Santa Claus. All right. Um, So he was AA. And I was just a random guy that let me stay at his house. And I think mm. the reason he did was because he's attempting to be generous and to be, you know, humble and and to give. And he was being of service. He was being of service. And I and I he didn't know that I was struggling with sobriety. He just knew that I was like a guy in trouble. Mm. And so as we talked, I was stuck with him for like three or four days. Uh, you know, he kind of started to open up and just be like, yeah, you know, I had quit drinking because I could see it was a problem. And then two years later, I just still felt like I had this problem. And then I went to AA and I was like, you stayed sober for two years and then decided to go to AA? Like, you're a weirdo, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Like he had something that I wanted, you know, humility. And we were talking about God and I told him all about God and, you know, and then he just had this very simple, humble approach to spirituality. And he, and he was so gentle and I just, I loved him and I wanted what he had. I was like, people would love me if I acted like this. I wouldn't have to trick anybody into loving me. I'd just be (laughs) lovable. You know, it was just, it was was wonderful. (laughs) And then I went to LA and uh, a woman came to my show and, you know, um, I think I probably didn't have like the best intentions toward like getting to know her a little better just because of where I was at and, um, wanted comfort and she kind of put me in my spot and then was like, here, listen to these CDs, you know, and like gave me all of this AA literature. Really? 
it's like people could tell like I was on the brink and mm. or it was just orchestrated by the universe I suppose and right. and so on the drive back from all of that it was like a 12 hour drive from the last show I had which was in San Francisco I listened to all of these CDs over and over and over and like you know it, was, it broke me hmm. uh, and I could tell I was just like wow I am I've never been able to admit this, but I, my whole life I've been managing the fact that I am ridiculously alcoholic. Like, hmm. Right, you heard your story. Yeah. That's how it works, yeah. So then, yeah, I landed in... Well, and then I guess the, the second part of the story is that there was a... There's an out, kind of like middle-aged man that has been coming to shows. He's married... Um, and, you know, has just been around and, like, is not hiding the fact that he was in AA. His name's Jim. And I had gone to him a couple of times and just been like, do you think I have a problem? And he was just like, I can't tell you that, you know. And then <laughs> on the trip, I was, like, able to just call him and be like, be my sponsor. Like, I have a problem. Take me to a meeting. Like, I, was, I had an in hmm. really quickly. And then ended up in London. I went to a bunch of meetings in London. And, and after, I think after that, I was a psycho. This is sweet. I love this. It's kind of magic, right? If you're yeah. ready, when you're ready for it. When you're kind of ready to accept it and kind of go in. It's, I think, for me, it was just a relief. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. That's how I felt, too. Like, there's not, I don't, yeah, I don't have to trick myself or anyone and there's no way I'm going to be able to pull the wool over any of these people's eyes you know and like mm-hmm. and that's okay like I just get to come and be and and it's spiritual too which is like I'm big on mysticism and spirituality and like the spirit world and like I have been since I was a kid and so I needed I think I needed that component as well but and I've always looked for a body of people that were open to this idea of a higher power and a spiritual life, but didn't like attach their story or their religious ideas or their rules or their, you know, their muck to it. Mm-hmm. And, and so, yeah, it was just like, I suddenly realized like this is what I've been looking for my whole life. Like, <laughs> here are all these people that like aren't claiming they know the name of God, you know, and yet attempting to seek him her and what is this you know this is I found it when I opened my eyes to it yeah and I was ready of course before that it was just like hell no like I do not want to look at this problem you know but when I was ready to look at the problem it was it was perfect mm-hmm. yeah it's um when I when I was looking through all of your um, articles about you and watching your videos and reading some of the lyrics to your song. And I just kept, I kept writing down words. And as I was writing them down, I'm like, okay, well, maybe I'm just, I'm reading into all of this. But even before you got sober, it seems like a lot of your, um, the work that you've done and where you've been drawn to in your life was surrender and willingness and acceptance and addressing ego. It's like all of those things are in your work. And it was so, um, I don't know, it was kind of telling to me when I was looking at these things going, it's all been, and maybe that's true for all of us, right? Until we're ready to see it. But it just seemed like you were seeking, um, like definitely like a seeker. And um, that's how I kind of looked at you when I met you 
but I didn't even really know you. But in, in doing all of this, I just thought, um, you know, the theme to you becoming a musician, I thought was about release and letting go when you kind of let go of all the trappings of life and you went to go really become this musician. You knew that that was your calling. Is that fair to say like that, that you, that that is true or what is your assessment of it? I think that like a lot of the stories I hear in AA are like, I started drinking when I was 14 and it got worse and 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 worse. And then when I was 64, you know, I almost died and I quit. And for me, it was a different, there's just a different pattern because of all the alcoholism in my family. I like took huge breaks and had really brilliant you know, years of like creativity and sobriety sort of in between some pretty dangerous, like progressive use and using. So I think a lot of like, you know, the concepts of a higher power and surrender and all of that, those were like themes that I had like based a lot of my success on because I was kind of grasping at figuring that stuff out, you know, via different religious practices and spiritualities and and just being, like you said, a seeker. I think that's a that's a great word for it. So, yeah, throughout my life, I have been able to kind of, like, measure my success and my, like, forward motion by those periods of intense seeking and sobriety being, like, the marker of that, of that uh, rapid kind of, like, push forward. You know, and then I would be like, all right, so I've achieved this level. Like, now I'm going to try methamphetamines let's see what this is about. you know it's just like I, I would definitely sabotage everything i had built for yeah. a while and be like oh crap like i hate myself like i'm gonna get back on this other train and be you know be successful and great and like work really hard again and so i i, I was kind of this gemini TikTok of a person i think until until I was ready to just say, like, I have a problem. <laughs> Could do not give me drugs or drinks or don't change my mind. Like, I don't want to change anymore. Right. Train. You There's know? some peace when you just take it off the table. It's just yeah. not an option. No. Yeah. So do you, what are you, um, like now, what do you have like replacement coping strategies or do you have something in place? Because, um, you know, you're in a lot of bars, right? Right. And venues or around people that are drinking. Do you, do you have to do anything that kind of protects that for yourself? Uh, I just thought of four totally inappropriate jokes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Go. <laughs> Number <No>. one. <laughs> Often my sarcasm is just the worst. <laughs> it's welcome like, here. It's welcome like, here. No, I just, I say things so uh honestly because they are kind of honest and then but people then get tricked and realize don't think realize that i'm being sarcastic and they're like well dan will use his masturbation to replace his (laughs) okay (laughs) no that was a joke we won't quote you on that (laughs) well don't we all (laughs) i mean that's a given that one's just everybody knows that (laughs) um can you repeat the question? <laughs> we got off track there. Just like anything that kind of helps you cope now. I mean, because you're, you're going into situations and venues and you're around musicians and nightlife. Like, do you, is there anything that like helps you cope with that? Um, you know, that's kind of, 
that you have to study yourself before you go into that? Is there anything that you do? I think that there are practices that, like I've recognized in myself, like the times when I've like started to slide and I'm like, whoa, I'm not okay. You know, like, well, I'm really close here. Like, uh, and then I look back and I'm like, what, you know, how did I get here? It's because, it, yeah, I, I wasn't doing my, just my sort of diligent practice stuff, which for me is I try to meditate for an hour a day and that's massive. I know it sounds massive, but yeah. it's more just me turning off my phone, dedicating that hour a day to sitting still and, you know, thinking and praying, trying to connect with something higher than myself and listening and, and being quiet. Um, and I have like a mantra uh, that's very long that I sort of walk through that like reminds me of who I am and what I feel like I'm supposed to do on this planet. It's like my identity sort of outside of like, he's a rock star. You know, like, <laughs> no, what am I like? Who am I really? You know, what does my name mean? Like I walk through the meanings of the name my mother gave me, you know, like I, I think through that stuff on a daily basis during that time. Uh, and then, you know, meetings and and having conversations with other people like me that have, you know, admitted they have an issue with with substances and, and with alcohol. Um, I think the more often that I do that, the like less likely I am to forget, you know, some pretty core truths about myself in that regard. And uh, the other being when I wake up every morning, I curl up into a ball in bed on in, on my knees and I just let go. Mm. I, I, I release my desires for fame and for success and whatever is on the table for work, you know, whatever record executive is supposed to listen to the song today or whatever thing that I'm trying to control to get to the reward like I just let go of it and that I think is the number one thing that drives me to like the bad places is if I just am I get I did I am so desirous and so driven and so hungry for this imagination of something and I think that's a good thing I think that's what m makes me willing to be a starving artist for so many years or you know it's right. what made me willing to work in this really weird way that no one else is doing you know and I, I think that that hunger is great but it has to be surrendered it has to be it has to be offered and just like okay what should I direct this at you know and 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 how can I just let go of all the anxiety and fear around those feelings and let you, let you work, you know, and let you guide me to the right record executive. That's not going to like, you know, push me on a three month tour to India and break my mind, you know, like let's, let's do this your way. And right. I think if so I don't, like yeah, the serenity sorry. prayer, right? The yeah, serenity. sure. Yeah. Or, th or I think like a third step prayer or is the like third a, step prayer. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I'm not very good at like reciting the magic word. Me neither. Of AA. Me neither, but... <laughs> Take it <laughs> in my own heart. 
but yeah. Me neither, but yeah. I was doing a fifth step with my sponsee on Sunday and my, I called, I texted my sponsor. I'm like, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. You know? And she's like, you're just supposed to listen and be a channel to God. And I go, Oh, that's a lot. Okay. (laughs) And she's like, and say the third step prayer. And I go, I don't, I don't know what that is. (laughs) She's like, Tammy. (laughs) I'm like, well, I don't, I've been doing this thing for a year and a half, but I don't have them all memorized and I have to look them up. You just don't know. Right. right. You probably rehearse it in your head all the time without (laughs) knowing the exact words. Exactly. Great magic stringers. (laughs) (laughs) My willingness to be. <laughs> I am the servant of the great Dringress. Okay. Nailed it. <laughs> so I was going to ask you so, um, what does your wife think of all this? Like, is she, she's got to be thrilled. No? Yes? I'm not going to sit here and <laughs> to tell you what my wife thinks. <laughs> okay, fair enough. That's smart uh, man. <laughs> But how do you feel about it? Yeah. Our relationship is 1000 times uh, as sweet as it's ever been, really. I think her willingness to walk with me through that abyss and kind of see me on the other side, I think she's gained an appreciation for me and that maybe she didn't have before, or at least that's what it feels like. And I, I'm amazed by her. Mm. I really, I'm really incredibly blessed and, and lucky to have met, to have met Rebecca. She's, she's very, very special. And her ability to forgive and her ability to trust and hope and love and and then seeing the fruit of that in myself, like often I think her belief in my higher powers, ability to change me, right. you know, brings me through and like, oh, yeah, OK, that's right. Like she she reminds me of the miracles that have happened in my life. And yeah, we're we're in a, such a such a solid place. She absolutely loves me being sober and is is uh more than willing for me to skip out, you know, evenings and go to AA and be a part of that community. And I love that having your, having spousal or support at home is just, God, it makes such a difference. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was asking my husband last night, I said, so do you mind that I, you know, our son's away in Alaska for a couple of weeks. So, um, we were out on a date and which we rarely go on and we've been together for almost 19 years. And I said, so do you, do you ever, does it bother you that I write about all this stuff or that I'm so out with, I mean, we live in a really small town, Daniel, there's like 126 people. Um, the next big town over is like a thousand people and he works locally. Like how many people are in my apartment building? <laughs> I thought you were going to say your apartment. Um, (laughs) And so I asked him, they're like, does it, and you're still okay with this. He edits our show and kind of does the sound for our show. And, um, and he said, because he's a man of very few words and he just said, well, it's better than the alternative. Right. (laughs) 
I was like, oh, That's, that is like true. Something my husband would say, <laughs> you know, that, yeah. that, um, he would much rather have this than, than what was. And, um, yeah, I try not to answer for him either. But when I, when I ask him those questions, he's very quick, <laughs> very quick to give a response. You know, when I asked him like, what, what was the biggest thing he noticed about me since I stopped drinking? And he said, you're less reactive. Mm. And it's so true, right? Like I reacted to everything. I'm, I don't know about you, but always hiding stuff too and having to keep things straight and um, juggling stuff. Again, mind was just so full of all these other things because I wasn't being rigorously honest in all my affairs. I, I found that when I could finally start telling the truth, like all these things just melted away, all these problems, because they're all self, you know, <laughs> self-imposed. That was kind of a revelation for AA for me was that you could tell the truth and that the world didn't end. Yeah. I, I found magic in that. I found like, wow, everyone in here is telling the truth. I don't know that I've been in a room where people are so honest. And I kind of got addicted in the beginning to going to those meetings. Like I needed them, you know, I didn't do a 90 and 90 or anything like that. I couldn't with my son's school schedule, but I did four meetings a week and I needed them. And I, jumped out of bed at 5 a.m. and they didn't start till seven. I thought, oh, what's taking them so long? Like I need to get <laughs> to get there. <laughs> so how often do you hit a meeting? Are you are you a regular um do you have regular yeah, meetings I, or what you I like? I try to go twice a week. Yeah. Um and often it's once just based on my work schedule currently. I've like been getting very, very busy. But I'm connected to other musicians that are in AA. It's funny being, you know, a, I don't know, a local, even just at a local level, having a little bit of celebrity and then going, you know, to a meeting, it sometimes can be sort of not so anonymous. Mm -hmm. um, so there are, but there are quite a few artists and and musicians that are doing really well um that obviously i can't name names uh that you know frequent meetings here so we we're starting to get to know each other and like learn you know just that me calling an aa that's also on the road while i'm on the road is like pretty much a meeting because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. there is like it's such a bizarre life uh and not to i don't know that it's better or like you know i don't think that it's more special but to be on stage to be an alcoholic who's already sort of like got some ego stuff going on you know what i mean and then mm -hmm. to be put in this position of worship and to be the new guy in town at a bar you know what I mean? Like, there's mm -hmm. a lot of sort of like really strange things happening. Dynamics, <laughs> yeah. I'm elevated above you all, and you're all drunk, and I'm not, and you're basically, you know, dancing at my feet. Like, this is a this is a bizarre event. So, um, and I don't mean elevated. As I just mean like physically, I'm on a stage. I'm like right. three feet taller than you. So there's and my voice is amplified. You know what I mean? Like, there's just so much power. And, uh, <laughs> And we and like we we hold each other in that and like there's such a gift I get to give from that place. Um, but it's I think it's difficult to sort of like land in a. I went to a meeting in Spokane when I was like on a trip 
just a little hiking trip and just stopped in at a meeting in Spokane. And, you know, I don't, I don't really know how I could explain to those people like, hey, here's what it's like to be the alcoholic version of me. So I think it's been really powerful to find people who are dealing with a similar reality or non-reality, I suppose. Yeah, that connection. It's um, yeah. it's like a quick equalizer. I've noticed um, you know, there's just no small talk with people who also have this affliction. Like you just get right. You don't have to have, how are you? How's the weather? People just, how are you? And it's like, really, how are you? It's like yeah. a real question. And um, I found that just really beautiful to connect with people that way. I, I, I owned a, a wine bar, Daniel, on the Sonoma coast here, uh, about seven miles away from where I live. And I owned that for about seven years and people would walk in and it just felt like it had to be fake all day long. Yeah. And I hated it. I hated it. I hated it. And so I would drink because I was anxious. I didn't want to talk to people. I hated small talk. I mean, I didn't realize this until I look back now and go, oh, that. So what I was doing was just self-medicating. Um, but when you're aware and you, and you, and you surround yourself with a few other people that are, that understand you, yeah, it's pretty it's pretty awesome. That's like why we wanted to talk about this too. I know we haven't, um, we wanted to touch more on your creative aspect because you have so much, I mean, we could go on for hours to talk to you, um, about all of the things that you, that you, your possess you, that you possess, you know, you're a poet, a writer. Um, but the one thing I wanted to bring up since Sandra is also a clothing designer, we wanted to kind of touch on that and ask you a little bit. I was looking at some of your stage, um, the coat with the American flag, the, um, long, with the hood, did you make that? No, that was actually made by a boy named Michael. Uh, I, yeah. It's tell funny. me about, yeah, tell me about your history. People, people really sort of like love and not Latch just, on to that. Yeah, and <laughs> your it, bio. <laughs> to me, it, it was just this, it was like a, well, it was almost like a class in college. That's how I see it. Oh, or yeah. like a major that I took. Uh-huh. You know, it's like, it, it was like, oh, I thought I was majoring in fashion design, but then I realized, you know, I'm like, oh, no, no, no. Like, I learned some things from that, but. You have style, Daniel. <laughs> well, you have major style. Like, and I was looking at the kind of metamorphosis over the years of, of your hair and your clothing. And you know, that's all part of it, too, right? Where you're creating this persona and, and, uh, and as you're growing and evolving. Yeah, I I learned a lot from my years as a fashion designer. I I did it for almost as long as I've been doing music now. Oh wow. So, uh and I, and I really I really enjoyed the creative freedom, you know, that I had, but it was like very very difficult for me to make a living. Oh yeah, it's and I it's can't. I'm not a really labor of love, really. Yeah, I'm not the kind of person that can like do things on the side. Mm-hmm. I think it's a part of this the way my brain is. It's like I've got that flashlight and it can point at one thing at a time. Mm-hmm. So I like have really, I I really had to decide. And I remember there was a moment when I was with my mentor, uh, a beautiful man named Paul Sparks, and. Um, he he and I went for a walk and I was just like, you know, I think like it's time for me to do music. I really am feeling this like pretty intense pull inward and 
and he was this and I but I was like but I don't know that I could juggle you know two sort of creative careers and and I don't really want to do music halfway and he was just like well would you rather sit behind a sewing machine all day or would you rather sit behind <laughs> and I was just like I hate sewing <laughs> like, <laughs> the actual work of being a fashion designer like was very difficult for me to like sit there and and construct I I really I did a lot of it but uh it was it wasn't it's not like drawing you know what I mean it's it's like very constructive kind of work yeah it's... and three-dimensional and I'd say that I was I was surviving I was eking by as a fashion designer but I don't think I succeeded at it but it definitely it you know what it taught me was how to gather people how to have an event. We would do these fashion shows in Tacoma and I would include everyone in the community. There were dancers and makeup artists and people catering and people doing the posters and people doing the, you know, the, the other parts of the costume, like makeup and hair. And there were, you know, it was just like I would draw in every creative force that I could possibly sort of combine into one event. And then we would throw this party out of space and the whole community would come out and, and watch it. And I, I think I learned more from those oh, I bet. events than I ever did, you know, stitching uh, the crotch in someone's pants. Like I mm -hmm. just couldn't, I don't know. There was, I think that part of my life and the reason why I was guided to it, uh, it was more about learning how to be in a community and be a part of an arts world. And those are skills that I think come in super handy you know trying to be a folk hero well you applied it with your um with your um tour when you said you wanted the caravan and the i mean this sounds like you like to gather tribe you like to bring everybody together with all their different talents yeah, yeah. we played this name game one time and uh it was it's very long and complicated but like my name ended up being like a gavaha which, like, when it was broken down, meant, like, gather hmm. people so that they have an aha moment. <laughs> I like I that. that. I like that. It was that. just, like, sort of my community naming me. It was, re it was, a, it was a really cool exercise. <laughs> you should do it. <laughs> <laughs> you should. Um, well, I have a question. Yeah, it, it, how is your, is your creativity different now that you're sober? Do you... Uh, do you feel like it's it's uh, your clarity's improved? I'm assuming, but and probably you're you probably have better strategy and execution. But um, is it was it harder at first to create sober? I I don't know. I think. In a lot of ways, it was like, oh, there we go. I'm back to like that place of creativity that I actually know how to work. You know, mm -hmm. it was it was pretty late in the game where I was like cracked out on, you know, everything plus truckers love it. And plus, like, you know, what are these crazy gas station penis pills? Like, well, right. I'll just, whatever. This. My yeah. God. You know, and then like, and, and then I'm, it's like six in the morning and I'm at my practice space and my wife has kicked me out of the house and I'm like hitting things with swords and my, and my, you know, and, and suddenly a song comes and I'm like, sweet, a song. I finally pushed myself to the end of 
my ego and there's a song coming and I would, you know, and I would sit and write the song and, and that's a really painful process. I mean, it comes at such a tax, but it was effective in that I was writing songs during that time of my life. Now, you know, I had my birthday was Thursday. Hmm. Happy birthday. Thanks. I, I threw like an open mic and some teenage kids came and played like their song about their puppy. And, it, you know, and I gave, <laughs> I gave a lot. I like entertained and I cleaned a lot. And and then finally everyone was out and uh, I just sat down on the piano and like wrote a song for my brother. Hmm. And it came out, you know, in that exact same way where I was like, finally, I've gotten to the end of whatever was in the way. And mm-hmm. he, like it's coming through me. So what I was after and how I create is like a, I'm, I'm looking for that moment when the song arrives. I don't believe that I'm actually creating it other than like I'm the sort of like entry point that stuff has to get into the world. So, yeah, you know, and then I didn't I went home and I like played it on the guitar and I recorded it on my phone and and then I went to bed feeling really happy and I woke up feeling really happy whereas like two years ago it was like I woke up incredibly hungover and I was lucky if I like could manage to operate a phone recorder in order to like you know Mm -hmm. because I was so cracked out Mm -hmm. when I was finally able you know so it's of course it's different and then now my execution is right I've got that song. I sent it to my bandmates. They're working on it currently. Like, it's not... You're following through. Yeah, there's not, like, this maniacal five-year path that that song has to walk, <laughs> you know, in order to Itself. get to... Yeah, well, this is not afflicted by me. It just right. gets to happen. So. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely a creative flow in sobriety, I feel like. It can, yeah, it can come come through you. For me, I have to get up every morning and make something. Every single morning as I wake up, that's my meditation. That's my first thing. You know, I get a cup of tea and take my supplements and I draw every single day. And that's that's fueled my recovery in a way that that um Yeah, you're drawing gratitudes, right? I mm -hmm. love seeing Yeah. They're so they're so beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. I didn't, I didn't share them initially because, you know, I do. So that's a big thing about ego, right? As creatives, that's like a struggle. I feel, you know, when you go, is it self-promotion? Is it this? Are you wanting something? Are you wanting somebody to like this? Are you, but I really just do it because I need to do it. I need to see it. And, um, I started a, a daily practice at, on January 1st of 2014, before I got sober, I did that for a year. That was the Doe Bay year. And, Every single day I sat down at that table hungover, maybe minus a few days, but every single morning I sat there hungover and drawing. When I looked at that first day of that journal, Daniel, it was the word I had illustrated was the word acceptance, which is funny to me now to look back and go, huh, that's interesting that that was what you chose to start this journey, you know, and to like accept that you wanted to make something it makes me utterly happy. And if, and I don't need anything from anyone for it to do it. Like I just do it. My sponsor had me start doing it. Um, sure. you know, the list, the 30 item lists and, um, you know, people, when I tell, when I tell my sponsors, you know, to do a 30 item list, they're like, they, 
that's impossible. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I used to think that, but now I could do a hundred item lists. Like I have so much to be grateful for. Yeah. The shift in perspective that sobriety affords me is, uh, every day I'm amazed every day. I'm amazed. And I can't believe I used to live another way, but it's okay. I did, you know, got me to here. And I, I understand that whole process, but it's pretty beautiful to be able to, to make and create and, and make art and that other people could get something from that too. Yeah. I think, I think there's two sides to that coin. If we're talking about why, why share, am I just being in my ego, you know? And the answer is yes, you're in your ego. Like you, are. <laughs> <laughs> right. you know, but the other part of that is that like, we're hardwired with a deep desire to belong. There's nothing stronger than that in the human instinctual, you know, psyche. Like you just, you want to belong. And if you've a talent, you know, well then share it because that's therein is your belonging. And that's okay. Like the fact that you want people to see your work and accept it, that's not you being egotistical. That's you being a, a like functional member of a belonging society and belonging to society. You know, I think the other part is that like, there are people who need to see those gifts. Like I think starting out when I was first writing songs, I thought I had a lot of Christian guilt about bringing glory to myself. And that was like, it was very hard for me to like put myself out there because it was just like, I had this old story from my family that like, you just want attention. You just want to take up all of the emotional space in the room. You know, like, what do you, why do you deserve to have such a big splash? And that I had to get over that. And I don't really know how I did it when I was, I think I was just like blindly determined to go forward as a musician. But years later, you know, people are coming to me and saying like, Hey, you know, that song about the river? Like, I know that's about heroin addiction and you helped me get off heroin. And I'm just like, Oh, what? wow. <laughs> you know, there's no, that is not what I wrote that song about. <laughs> you know, so then I slap them and say, you're an idiot. No. Uh, I, I, it's, it's amazing to me that, you know, I just put, in order to belong, I put my cards on the table, just like a plumber or an electrician or, you know, a doctor. Like, I just decided this is my piece of the pie and I think when ego gets involved is when you decide this piece of pie is better than all pies put together you know <laughs> that's ego but like just sharing your work is you participating in the in the thing that is life and the world right I guess I'm talking a lot about that particular subject but it's a it's a huge theme for me because it was what I had to overcome right uh, well that's what kind of why I wanted to bring it up too because I imagine yeah doing the work that you do um, and how you can reconcile that, but that's a beautiful way to reconcile that. I mean, yeah, it's a human condition to be seen, to be heard, to, um, yeah, to belong. Um, I, uh, there was a part of, we're getting towards the end here, but I, I did want to ask you, um, it was the King of Diamonds video that you guys made in Vegas. I was in Vegas, right? I mean, like 
35 years ago. <laughs> that old thing. Um, did, did you style, who, who styles your videos? Who, I was looking at all the videos last night. So not just that one in particular, but do you have a creative voice in all the videos? Um, I know that you were, you worked with Casey, your friend Casey on Ransom and Reason and did some, um, videos. Do you, do you have a big voice in, in what you create visually? Hmm. That video, uh, you know, when we first got signed to that record, they put like a half a million dollars behind a, that first record. And and I think they paid $50,000 for that particular piece of art. Mm-hmm. Uh, not, you know, I could make an album off of that, but that's how much they paid <laughs> for that video. And um, there was a whole team of like, I think they had like 15 people on the cruise. Yeah. Yeah. That they flew to Vegas, including us, and which is why it was so expensive. But um, so, yes, I had voice in that. And, you know, they were basing the aesthetic off of some photographs that we had created with a local photographer named Genevieve um, Pearson. But so she had a major you know, influence in that, in those first stylings. But a lot of that was us, just us, yeah, playing dress up and, and me maybe bringing some of my, you know, kind of costuming, fashion-y, whatever mm-hmm. leftovers I had from that business um, and thrift store finds. And, you know, I always like to say that, you know, I definitely wore that fur coat in those photos and in that video long before Macklemore did thrift <laughs> So Got it. Noted. Which is, you know, it's fine that he, you know, he stole the, the first stole your luck. idea from me, but that's okay. Well, you know, I'm just like, no big deal. Well, no, I think I, why I asked that too is because it did look produced. It looked like there was money put into that. It did look like it was heavily produced. But I have to say, you, I found a video of you just singing um, Hallelujah with Hana Lee. And yeah. that just made me you know, cry last night. Like, that was beautiful. Your voice. Just, uh. Yeah, you can't, you can't pay for a moment. <laughs> yeah. When the spirit comes and the room is right and... There happens to be Aristosthenes Frackenthal with his camera in the room, you know, <laughs> like there's, there's that, there's that, that happens. And I, uh, I wish I could pay someone $50,000 for another of those videos, but that's mm-hmm. just not how, that's not how the universe works. Yeah. You, you did a session. It looked like, um, in LA, remind me the name of the room, um, where you did She Is Spirit in 1971. Um, so far, Sam? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I watched that. That looks so... Was it as awesome as it looked? I mean, it just looked totally relaxed and, and like a pleasant experience, was it? I mean, those shows, both that Hallelujah video, which was recorded at the Fremont Abbey, which is like a sit-down, listen-to-music kind of idea and the so far sounds which is definitely like they say before like do not talk don't bring out your phone you know like they kind of guide the audience into this like idea that hey we're here to listen to music not to like 
try and sleep with each other later or get drunk, you know? <laughs> and, and there's, those are the rooms that I was trying to recreate when I like threw my massive, I'm playing backyards and living rooms tour. Like that's where I want to play. That's how I love to play. And I love like a big freaky dance floor bar, you know, loud rock and roll arena kind of idea. Like I, I enjoy that, but I don't, I'm not fed by it and nearly as much as like those moments that get created when it's just intimate, more intimate. Yeah. There's an intention, you know, and I think human intention, like when an entire room has the same intention, whether that is to dance, you know, to this great song or to listen and, and be, you know, ministered to by music. Like I, I think there's something kind of holy and maybe even like uh, we're getting into spirit magic there you know where human focus and intention are all directed at one point like that that's that's where miracles happen mm-hmm. you yeah, did you did I those do. sound baths didn't you do the sound baths um in seattle yeah is that more of a spiritual did you enjoy that I, you know, I've, I've struggled with the sound bath idea. I, we've tried hybrids where, like, I sing a bit and play, like, softer. And then, you know, we do, we do the bowls and the gong. And, and I, I enjoy that because it's pure service. Like... There's no eyes in the room. You know, everyone's laying down on yoga mats and half the people are falling asleep. And so it is just purely like, wow, I am not a star. You know, I am nothing but a speaker, the source of the sound here. So it's unique. I've struggled because often what wants to channel through me in those moments is just way too loud. And it wants to wake people up and it wants to, mm. it wants to say, what the, f-? you know, <laughs> come on, get on it. You know, it wants to encourage and rally and like, often like people are there to rest and, you know. <laughs> you, you need the, an- you need the anti-sound bath. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I, I, you know, maybe we don't need to call it a sound bath, but like a sound <laughs> hailstorm I don't know but yeah it's been I've I've struggled because like I feel like I'm holding it in and then when I do let it out I'm just like you know what I'm just gonna go with it and then I like start just shouting in kind of a rather Jamaican kind of like fake dialect that's just coming out and you know like because I'm getting really spiritual like I'm just letting it flow and it's like I mean, I think unless I just gave you an example of that, it would be difficult for you to know what that's like. And you know, people get up and eat. Like, people are, like, shocked out of their, like, every and their, I don't like vibe, you know. And, and that's just my ego thinking, like, they're leaving because of me and I'm ruining it. And, you know, but I don't, I'm not really sure I want, that's not what whatever wants to come through me is, like, trying to give. So that's, it's been a unique wrestling you know, plus it's there's so much effort that goes into creating those, and right now I just need to be in a rock and roll band called Moto Pony. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's good that you tried it and that you know that that maybe that's not your gig or that you would turn it into something else. 
So we're... <laughs> oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. I'm just saying, let's tell us about Motive Honey. Tell us about what's coming up for you. We're getting towards the end here. And is there anything you want to promote and tell us where people can hear you? Yeah, we are working really hard. Um, right now, we're just getting ready to put out a single of a song called When We Were Young. And it's going to be released on August 25th kind of like worldwide, web-wide, I guess. And um, and that is, you know, in sort of like promotion of the upcoming album, which will be called 50 Katrinas. Mm-hmm. But uh, so that's, that's all happening. We have a show on July 21st in Seattle at the Tractor Tavern, which is actually in Ballard, which is a part of Seattle, I suppose. Uh, and then the next night, I think we're playing in Everett at like a big house party. Um and then, you know, there's shows kind of scattered around the 25th release, the August 25th release. So this summer we're kind of staying local to Seattle-ish. When your and, album, and when your album um, is released, will you do a, a larger tour? Uh, I mean, yeah, fingers crossed. I'm, I'm really kind of like felt guided to just focus everything on the single and kind of say... Hey, we're back on the map. You know, I took a pretty big break. Oh, cool. It's been a year and a half, and there's an entirely new band. Yeah. I think just letting people know, like, I'm I'm active, and then my hope is that like there's some either a big splash that's created, and then by that we're able to kind of like fund our own record release, or you know, someone comes along and is is wanting to partner with us on that on the release that's of the cool. album. So I don't know. Yeah if that's going to be spring or if that's going to be late fall. Like, like I'm really releasing all of that too. That's some of the stuff that I let go of in the morning. <laughs> you're not in a future trip the I'm whole thing. Charge. You're just, yeah, got it. I love it. Well, so thank you, Daniel, for your time. I appreciate it. We we're gonna end this, yeah. and, and maybe and maybe you kind of shared this earlier, but we're gonna end it with our um, with the three items that are in your unruffled toolbox that we that we share with our listeners every week and. And like I shared with you that unruffled means calm and not agitated and it's just things that we use to try to center our day. And I know you alluded to them earlier, but would you mind sharing the three things that you do that keep you unruffled? Yeah, totally. I mean, we did touch on them. The one being when I wake up, I, I, the first thing I try and do is just roll up onto my knees and, and bow and really release my will and my idea of that will you know without sort of I don't deny that I have desires but I just say like maybe you know how to meet those desires better than I do and then Mm -hmm. I typically I get up I kind of take my vitamins have a smoothie and then I get out to the coffee shop and I sit down and I try and write three pages and I find that that isn't for anything but just getting the pen moving and getting like my thoughts sorted and that's where I like kind of dig up like a lot of my character defects and I like let go of a lot of my like kind of darker desires into that I hope no one ever reads that stuff or maybe it'd be great like maybe it's gonna be a great reading you know most of it's just gibberish like sometimes I just write the word like metaphysical over and over Mm -hmm. I just and I just keep I just keep pushing the pen and if I don't do that, I find I'm far less sane and far less able to kind of create. And then the third thing that I 
try and make sure I do every day, and I usually do, is I set aside an hour. Um, and that's just for me and higher power to to sit and and kind of remind me who I am and remind, you know, my body that stillness is completely acceptable. <laughs> and, right. You know, and I just, I really listen and and take care to like not let that be interrupted when I do all of those things and you know stay connected to other alcoholics and believers um I I typically am on a really solid path Hmm. that's true that's great oh thank you so much Daniel I really appreciate it thanks for coming on and sharing part of your story I know it's not all of your story but I want to really really thank you yeah thanks a lot Daniel You're welcome. Tammy, Sandra, I hope that you both have productive and wonderful days. Yeah, you too, Daniel. Thanks. Talk to you on the internet. All right. See you on Instagram. (laughs) And I I have a one-acre property, Daniel. You can always have a house party here. It opens up into a valley where there's cows on one side, llamas on one, and sheep on the other. So we got really good neighbors, and um, you're always welcome to play here. Whoa. Wow. Wow. Okay. So you have six band yeah, members, I, so you'd up the population. <laughs> What'd you say? You'd up the population to like 132 if the six band members came. <laughs> so that'd be good. It'd be really good for our census over here. <laughs> Maybe yeah, send, I'm gonna really... send me that information in an email and, and I'll push it to my management because I think as we're booking tours, like that's the kind of stuff we need just to stop the mad mm-hmm. rush across the country and sit in a field, you know, mm-hmm. and play to real people instead of a room full of drunk San Francisco kids, you know, like, I think that, not that those drunk San Francisco kids aren't a part of the whole thing, but like night after night, you really start to lose touch with the earth because all you see is a van seat and pavement and... yeah. Well, there's an old bookstore in town that they do concerts at and have a folk festival. It's called Oyster Palooza, so it's not really a palooza because it's our small town. But it's the perfect place for you to play, too. So I will send you some information. Okay. All right. Yeah, I'm going to need some notice for this show so I can (laughs) book my flight from Austin. (laughs) Oh, you're in Austin, Sandra? I didn't know. I I am. Yeah. I am in the music capital of the world. That's why I was asking you uh, if you were going to tour. So if you do, I I mean, obviously, I would think Austin would be one of your stops. Yeah. I mean, we've. Sandra's backyard. KUT KUT has been a big supporter. And our first manager lived in Austin. So we played South by Southwest and we've opened for Daniel Johnson there. And I love Daniel Johnson. Yeah. I have a I have a piece of of Daniel Johnston original art. Wow! I know that's my I husband's. I'll take that's... a picture of it. I just I'll I'll take a picture of it and send it to you on Instagram. Okay. That's my husband's that's favorite cool. documentary. He loves Daniel Johnston. Yeah, yeah. Him and yeah. my son watch it all the time. Yeah, I it's saw it disturbing. Really and early on, beautiful. When I decided to be a musician. I, I like was one of the major. I was mm. like. Man, this butthead can just <laughs> have no excuse. <laughs> really, like no inhibition whatsoever. No. Oh, I always think like his poor mother. He was always recording his poor mother. Is what I think. 
all those tapes, like just all that document. I hope my son never records me. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, we, we just obviously still want to keep talking to you, but we'll let you go, Daniel. Have a really beautiful day. Okay. You too. Go. <laughs> Bye. Okay. Bye. The Unruffled Podcast was created and produced by Sandra Primo and Tammy Salas. Our show is edited and mixed by Steve Hecht. Original music composed and performed by NMMD. Original artwork created by Tammy with the help of graphic designer Chris Fagiri. Thanks for listening.